as you know, in, in this particular series in 2 Timothy, I, I try to take a portion of the scripture and pull it apart and see what's there and find its application to us. And in the normal scheme of things for me, I was going to cover the last half of the second chapter. Um, as I continue to kind of, I guess I, I would view it ruminate like a cow chews its cud, you know. As I was ruminating over that this week, it became more and more apparent to me that I wasn't going to be able to do that with the last half of 2 Timothy 2. So I'm going to just read a portion of the chapter and verses 14 through 19. And don't be surprised if we only get through two or three verses. It's that kind of uh, uh, impact of the word uh, today. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, follow along as I read. And here's what we find there. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So we're talking about the life that God blesses today. I suspect everybody in the room would like to say that they want God to bless their life. If I asked you that question, you would say, of course I want him to bless my life. What what is there not to want about the blessing of God, his favor toward me? And yet sometimes we don't always position ourselves in a place of blessability, being able to be in the right spot so that his work in me can be increased and expanded so that I can experience more of his goodness, kindness, and blessing to me. So Paul is going to talk about here the kind of life that God blesses and what is involved. What, what, do, I, what do I do? What, what is it that I need to make sure I'm giving attention to in order to experience that blessing of God? And I think today I'm going to get through one point of of this message. And uh, so we'll just go right at that, first of all. God blesses the life 
that is a craftsman of his word. A craftsman of his word. Uh, as we read the portion of scripture, there are a few phrases that I want to just kind of go slow on, even before I talk about being a craftsman. Because in verse 14, as it began, it says, keep reminding them of these things. And it kind of pushes you back to the things that were talked about last week or previously talked about in his word. So, you know, I mean, you could you could go back to chapters one and the first half of chapter two to talk about those principles we need to give attention to, being faithful, available, remember, remember fat people last week, maybe vaguely, okay, faithful, available, teachable people, uh, those giving attention to those kinds of things, reminding them. And one of the constant challenges that we face as Christ followers is to remind people about the things that need to be done. We don't always remember well the things that God uh, brings to us. There are times that we forget something. Have you ever been working on a project and it's been a long while since you've done it and so you you just say, well, how did I do that? What? And you need to be reminded of something. So once it comes back, then you say, oh yeah, yeah, I remember now. Um, there is that, that piece of the importance that pastors have to do, teachers have to do, encouragers along the way need to do, reminding them of the things that need to be done. Then in that 14th verse, there's a phrase that we could blow right by quite quickly, and I want to just kind of back up to a little bit. It says, warn them before God against, and then give you a short list of things to warn them against. So warning them. But the phrase that captured my attention was that phrase before God. In Latin, the word is called corum deo, before the face of God. <clears throat> and one of the things that's essential for us as Christ followers is to always remember that everything that we do is done before the face of God. It doesn't make a difference what it is that you do. You know, uh, you can be a teacher, you can you can be a library science person, you can you can work in a hospital, you can work in a prison, you can you can work for a small business, you can you can, whatever it is that you, you're doing, all of that is done before the face of God. And being a follower of Christ means that everything is open, everything is there for us to do as transparently before God, he sees it all. That's what his omnipresence and omniscience and omnipotence is all involving. He sees all, knows all. He's aware of it. So we need to be very cautious that what we're doing is done before the face of God. Never forget that God blesses a life that is a craftsman of his word, but it is the person who is doing that before God. And then uh, in that whole process, uh, here's this verse moving to verse 15. Uh, it talks about the, the don't warn them against quarreling about words. It's of no value. It only ruins those who listen. In that particular portion of Scripture, we understand the futility of some words that lead to, and there will be in this portion of Scripture three things that are pointed out, quarrels, ruin, and ungodliness. So let me let me tack on to those kinds of things for a few moments. 
We understand the futility of some words. Words, I, I, I value words. I, I was an English major. Um, that doesn't mean anything other than uh, that was a major I picked. And I enjoy literature, and I give attention to details. And, and so when words are put together in their relationship, we call syntax, they're supposed to match properly and all of that kind of stuff. And so you get, you get the right subject with the right verb and all of those kinds of things. I enjoy, I enjoy wordsmithing, I guess, might be one way to describe it. I love language. I, it, it's my blessing. This is my curse. I read something and there's an error in it. And I say, why wasn't that proofread? Why didn't they get that right? What, what, it's, it's rather obvious. But yet in our world, you see stuff out there. And it's like, man, these people can't put two words together. They fall all over each other. And, and so, but yeah, that's be care I have to be careful because I can, get, I can get Mr. Cranky Pants on that and get critical. And I don't want to do that. Because maybe not everybody has got through the same grid. But, but there, there's words. We've got words. But sometimes it's futile. There's the futility of some words. Particularly when they lead to certain things. Here it talks about quarreling about words. I told you before I brought, uh, I brought these two books that talk about the topic of conflict in churches. Now... Now, your church maybe has not had major conflicts over the past, but maybe they have. I don't know. I suppose any church, any group of people, you're going to get into some conflict. Marriage can be a conflict sometimes. You know, I mean, you can put the boxing gloves on in terms of husband and wife, too. And sometimes the husband doesn't always win, even though he's stronger. Sometimes the wife has a pretty good left hook, and you don't see it coming. And there you are. Sometimes churches can be in, uh, in conflict, and uh, in history of the church, that the great church fights is talking about more about the, the great theological debates that occurred over the history of the church. But quarrels, I don't know how you feel. You, I, I'm, I, I am by nature longing to be a peacemaker. I will do anything I can do to keep or manage the peace. Maybe you're that way. I don't like conflict. Conflict starts to get me churned up inside. And and when I hear, I, I was I was outside the other day uh, uh, doing something, whatever outside work I was doing, and I heard the neighbors two houses over arguing with each other. And it was like, it was, they must have had megaphones is all I can figure. It was just, you know, and I thought, oh my, they just might kill each other here if, if, if they don't, if they don't crank it back a little bit. But the words were only lending to quarrel. And those quarrelsome words created more and more conflict and malaise at very least. It, the understanding here is the futility of summer leads to quarrels. It leads to ruin. That was another language verse of verse 14. And only ruins those who listen. Uh, unhealthy words. Unkind words, whatever adjective you wish to use, about words that have a negative impact, have a have a downward effect upon people. So, you know, a little signboard saying, Lord, let my words be sweet like honey, because one day I may have to eat them. So you got to be careful with the words that you say and you choose, because that's 
the potential is there that it can ruin others. And then ungodliness, you can talk about that a little bit further down into this portion of Scripture, and maybe we'll come back to it a little bit more next week. But the language here in verse 14 ramps up to the contrast you find in verse 15. Now, 2 Timothy 2.15 is a verse that you ought to have in your head and your heart. It ought to be one of those memorized verses. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know where, where along the way I encountered it uh, and I got it in, but it was in the King James Version then, and it was a study, study, and maybe that's why you, you get kind of academic and you think, oh, well, I'm going to get to study something. Oh, boy, you know, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling or dividing the word of truth. And 2 Timothy 2.15 is a good verse for us. It, 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 you, want, you want an assignment to do this week? Write that verse down, whatever translation or flavor you want. And begin to memorize that. I don't care if you use three by five cards, uh, post it in your bathroom, put it right over the toilet paper roll if you, if you spend a lot of time there. I don't care where you have to put it, but put it wherever it is that's going to kind of reinforce and get that word into you. But let me, let me take a look at that, that particular verse uh, as, we, as we get in. And that's maybe as far as we get in terms of uh, this is 15 verse because it's such a powerful story and powerful word for us. One translator, Kenneth Wiest, uh, works the word, or works the verse a little bit. And he say, translates it this way. Instead of study to show yourself a proof, he says, bend your every effort. Bend your every effort to present yourself to God approved, a workman unashamed, expounding soundly, the word of truth. So it's kind of like an amplification of that verse. Bend your every effort to present yourself to God. Now, we're, we're not all that wired that way. We just kind of like God conveniently doing, uh, having some attention in our life, and he's one compartment for us. And when you talk about bending your every effort, that language is, does not describe sometimes our passion for following after God and after Christ. It's, it's, it's not, we're not sometimes naturally wired that way. And so when we talk about that intensity or passion, uh, it, it's, it's important. Here's, here's the word, here's the word, and, and I thought of Frank this week. I thought of Frank many times this week. But here's the word when it says study to show yourself or make every effort or bend yourself to. The word is in Greek, Spudazzo. Can you think out, can you think out where I went with Spurlazzo? I got close. Spodazzo. Spodazzo. I thought, wow, there's a cool word. It speaks of intensity of a purpose followed by intensity of effort to realize that purpose. So when when 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 pops up, think of Frank. You know, it's a, that's a word, that word. It was, it was, it was kind of like Spurlazzo. It was someone ever, you know, Spurlazzo. Make every effort, bend yourself, bend every effort to present yourself to God. <clears throat> it literally comes from a phrase that talks about making a straight cut. That's what the craftsman is. They cut straight. 
if you're a craftsman and working with wood, it's a straight cut. It's a clean cut. If you're a farmer, you're plowing a straight furrow. If you're a mason, you're setting a straight line of bricks or block. If you're a workman, you're building a straight road. Sometimes it's hard for us to keep the attention to the detail to make sure that we're moving in that right direction. It's like the, the, the young fellow that was a volunteer to help the farmer plow his field. And he got on the horses and he was just looking all over the place and he just not paying attention. And when he got done, he looked back and it was like, like this kind of thing because he didn't keep his eye. He didn't give, make every, he poured himself into it from that side. Uh, A.B. Simpson puts it this way. Some comment on this kind of concept. It says, God has hidden, A.B. Simpson, of course, is the founder of the Alliance, which is one of the, we are one of that church, one of that uh, denominational flavor. God has hidden every precious thing in such a way that it is a reward to the diligent, a prize to the earnest, but a disappointment to the slothful soul. All nature is arrayed against the lounger and the idler. The nut is hidden in its thorny case. The pearl is buried beneath the ocean waves. The gold is imprisoned in the rocky bosom of the mountains. The gem is found only after you crush the rock which encloses it. The very soil gives its harvest as a reward to the laboring farmer. So truth and God must be earnestly sought. Again, the language, bend your every effort as you look at verse 3. Do your best, NIV, do your best to present yourself to God. And, and this all happens because we have quorum deo. We have the face of God. We're doing all of this. Whenever you look into this word, whenever you dig into that, you do that because you're in the face of God. You know, uh, we use that phrase. You forget in somebody's face. It, usually it's there's an intensity to that. You, you, you need their attention. You've got you've to capture their heart and their mind, their attention, and you get in somebody's face. Now, I can't envision getting in the face of God and telling him what I think he needs to know because, you know, it isn't quite the way it works. He, he, he knows a lot more than I do uh, because of his character, and I'm more interested in listening to what he has to say than telling him what I think he ought to do. But it's that whole piece of truth and God must be earnestly sought. We are passionate about that. Um, someone has said, uh, well, let's see, the language of verse 15 talks about we, we do our best to present ourselves to God as one approved, approved by God. Uh, Jim Elliott is a name, perhaps it might be ring back deeply. Uh, he was a former uh, missionary. He was actually a student, uh, Wheaton College graduate. Uh, and he was eventually martyred in the jungles of Ecuador. He wrote in his diary, uh, uh, the book called Shadow of the Almighty, he said this, My grades came through this week and were, as expected, lower than last semester. That's not what you want to have for your legacy in terms of a student. However, he said, I make no apologies and admit I've let them drag a bit for study of the Bible in which I seek the degree AUG, approved unto God. So 
whatever it is that you're putting yourself to, always keep in mind that we are working as craftsmen who need to have the approval of one, the approval of God, approved by him as a workman. Um, Paul put it in Philippians 1 this way. He said, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted or magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. I will not be put ashamed in anything. It comes to two choices. Uh, I guess I'm... Uh, we understand the power, power of other words, okay, making a straight path. Two choices. You're either either an approved worker or an ashamed believer is what the language of verse 15 is about. Um, one commentator, uh, William Barclay, I, I really appreciate his thorough study of the scripture. Um, he does mm -hmm. some wonderful Bible study materials. But he says the Greek for the word that stand that means to stand the test is the word dokamos, which describes anything which has been tested and is fit for service. For instance, it describes gold or silver which has been purified of all alloy in fire. It is therefore the word for money which is genuine. We use the word sterling silver. Have you ever heard of that phrase? This is genuine sterling. It means it's a purity. It's approved kind of thing. It's a word used for a stone, which is to be fit into a place in a building. It has no flaw. It's a standing uh, in terms of it, its purpose and use, which means it's being tested, and there's nothing that's found wanting in it. Timothy was to be tested that he might be a fit weapon for the work of Christ, and therefore a workman which had no need to be ashamed. It's that work of God that he longs to do in us. And it's not my power, it's not my smarts, it's not my skills, it's not my journey. It's the work of Christ because my heart is to bend every effort to present myself to God. How are we bending these days? Are we bending toward him? Are we giving our very best effort? We sang, wonderfully sang. I surrender all, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. And that's the part of doing your best to present yourself to God. A young man, I read a story of a young man who once studied violin under a world-renowned master. I'm rather intrigued by that because I have a grandson that is an amazing uh, cellist. Um, and, and is taken lessons by people who are craftsmen themselves in that. But this this young <clears throat> young man uh, studied under a world-renowned master. He came to his first recital, and the crowd cheered after each number. But the young performer didn't seem impressed or satisfied at all. He was rather dissatisfied. Even after the final number that he did, despite the applause, the musician seemed unhappy. As he took his bows, he was watching an elderly man in the balcony. Finally, the elderly man smiled and nodded in approval, and immediately the man became 
uh, delighted, beamed with joy. He was not looking for the approval of the crowd. He was waiting for the approval of his master. Christians should be living for God's approval. We will be approved unto him as we use the Bible to grow in godliness. And so the question is, are you growing as a craftsman who uses God's word accurately, handling it, and skillfully to grow in godliness? The misuse of the Bible will lead you to ruin. Words that lead to quarrel and ruin, but the proper use will lead you to godliness. Perhaps today I was talking about Jim Elliott uh, as a missionary. Uh, perhaps the name Adoniram Judson might ring a bell for some of you who was also a missionary and made this observation about making your most or making the most of the opportunities that God gives to you. He wrote this one point. He says, a life once spent is irrevocable. It will remain to be contemplated throughout eternity. The same may be said of each day. When one, when it is once passed, it's gone forever. All the marks which we put on it, it will exhibit forever. Each day will not only be a witness of our conduct, but will affect our everlasting destiny. How shall we then wish to spend each day or see each day marked with usefulness? It, it, it's too late to mend the days that are past. The future is in our power. Let us then each morning resolve to send the, day, send the day into eternity in such a garb as we shall wish it to wear forever. Language, we don't talk like that anymore. We don't talk like Let me go back one more time. It's, let us then each morning resolve to send the day into eternity in such a garb as we shall wish it to wear forever. And at night let us reflect that one more day is irrevocably gone indelibly marked. When I was growing up, I, I, I carried this little picture in my wall. It was a picture of Jesus. And I, I received this early when I was uh, uh, became a Christian, probably about probably about Ava's age, I think. I was in that about that range. And, and so here, here's the little card that someone gave to me. Picture of Jesus on the other side, it said this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And it's that picture of just kind of pressing into him, pushing into him. Uh, truth engages, truth engages the citadel of the human heart and it's not satisfied and until it has conquered everything there. Um, Simpson, again, back to A.B. Simpson for a moment. He's, he, 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 was a, uh, he would write poetry, and, and poetry was sometimes helpful, sometimes it was not all cool, but more poetry than I've written, so I'll give him that credit from that side. And then oftentimes he would get a, a poem or a sermon, and they'd give it to somebody, and they'd put it into a song. And that got even, even squirrelier at times with some of the stuff that, that was produced. But the point is, point is he, he made this little observation. He said, I want among the victor throng someday to have my name confessed and hear my master say at last, you stand approved. You did your best. Give your every effort. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, 
and who correctly handles the word of truth. So how are we handling that word? The other night we were reading, <clears throat> Barb and I uh, read through uh, with an app called Mission 119. I, I, I'm going to get them in. It's really a very good app. And it, it gets you through the whole Bible in about 90 weeks. So five days a week kind of thing. And just a very, very helpful app. Uh, John Soper is the guy who developed it. And uh, you have to read it. You can listen to it and it makes some observations. Very helpful. It's just a good tool. Just a good tool. But uh, we were reading and it was uh, following up on uh, reading in the book of Deuteronomy uh, with a psalm that was the song of Mo a song of Moses. Now, I know that Deuteronomy contains a song of Moses. But um, I was not aware. It had not registered in my head that Psalm 90 was a song by Moses. I, you know, you think, well, David wrote the psalm. Well, David wrote some of the psalms. There were other psalms that were not written by David. And Psalm 90 was one of those. And it didn't, it didn't click with me that that was the context of that. But I've used Psalm 90 many times over the course of years in funeral settings, and particularly one verse of that in terms of calling people to think about the whole issue of where their life is going and where their life has been. So Psalm 90, verse 12, has this verse. It says, So teach us to number our days that we, that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. When we get to the end of our race, when we get to the end of the journey, it, he may not he may not ask us some of the questions we're thinking about. Uh, you know, uh, he, he he might not uh, God might not ask us. You know, well, uh, what did you accomplish in life? Uh, did you did you uh, care for your family well? Did you save a lot of money? Did you did you I'm wondering whether he might be interested more in saying, how, how well did you get to know me before you stand in my presence? How, how well did you get to know me through my word? Has my word been like honey on your lips? Is it that is it more to be desired are they than gold, yea, much fine gold? Um, the word who correct we correctly handle the word of truth. A. W. Tozer put put it this way. He says the Bible is among other things a book of revealed truth. That is, certain facts are revealed that could not be discovered by the most brilliant mind. These facts are of such a nature as to be past finding out. These are facts that were hidden behind a veil. And until certain men who spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost took away that veil, no mortal man could know them. The lifting of the veil of unknowing from undiscoverable things we call divine revelation. What is generally overlooked among humankind is that truth as set forth in the Christian scriptures is a moral thing. It is not addressed to the intellect only, but to the will also. It addresses itself to the total man, and its obligations cannot be discharged by grasping it mentally. 
And that's where I would say that the engagement of the heart is not satisfied until truth has conquered everything there. Here in verse 15 says we are people who are to be correctly handling the word of truth. The will has to come forth and surrender its sword. It must stand at attention to receive orders. It orders it must joyfully obey. Short of this, any knowledge of Christian truth is inadequate and unavailing. Now, that, that's spoken by A.W. Tozer, who had a penchant for making sure he understood rightly the word and was able to convey that and, and taught in, 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 as a kind of modern-day prophet, if you will. But it was all a function of focusing around that verse 15 so that we present ourselves to God as one who is approved and who is a craftsman, one who gives himself intently with the, with the goal of trying to get it right, do it with excellence, and who does not need to be ashamed, who rightly handles the word of truth. We said that the, the, the paths were either one of two ways. You're either an approved worker or an ashamed worker. Paul was concerned that he didn't want to be ashamed or that Christ would be ashamed of him. And so he pursued with passion his heart before God. That's as far as I anticipated getting today. I've got more, but I'm going to hold that for the next installment of The Life God Blesses. But the first piece of that is that we are invited to become craftsmen of his word. We didn't get into a lot of verse 16 and following. It talks about avoiding godless chatter, those who indulge in it become more and more ungodly. That was part of the problem, ungodliness that's there. Verse 17, the teaching spreads like gangrene, and he illustrates that in terms of two characters who have wandered away from the truth. And if we're either if we're into that word and we're longing to rightly handle it, it'll keep us from getting into those side tracks, into the place of error and truth. Um, and the theological error they went in was saying that the resurrection already happened. I'm not talking about the resurrection of Jesus, but talking about the second come, the, the coming back again and resurrection of the dead, that that's already happened and they destroy the faith of some. We, we, we never know the power of our words in terms of how it will affect people positively or negatively. Be cautious with the way we speak things and make sure that it's saturated in God's word and flows from that word that just kind of works within us um, and not speaking unproductive words or speaking words that lead to quarrel or ruin or ungodliness. Over the course of years, I've been in situations where we've had uh, church fights and they've ranged from a variety of things. Some of them actually quite silly. The color of the carpet in the church. What color are we going to paint the walls? Well, they need to be earth tones. Or they, and, and uh, I like red carpet. So we're going to get this red carpet. I'm going to give you $3,000 for red carpet in this place. Not, not here. I mean, you get that kind of stuff that goes on in terms of church quarrels and all that kind of stuff. 
And I've had people get up and walk out of the church, never to come back in. I felt badly. I felt badly about that kind of thing that that they would take offense over such small stuff. But that was how they were feeling or wired or whatever was going on. They got their got their. I I overuse that phrase, knickers in a twist. But but that just got them, got them that way. And sometimes those words can become. Uh, counterproductive, quarrels, ruin, and ungodliness. But that's not what we are to be about as we are handlers of God's word. So what do we do with it? Ask God to make you a craftsman. A craftsman is not somebody who's done something once and has got it all figured out. A craftsman is one who gives himself to the process and keeps on getting into it and keeps on so that it's done with excellence and they are able to then teach others also. You remember that phrase from 1 Timothy 2.2? The things that have been trusted to you, teach to faithful people who will be able to pass that along. It doesn't come just by coming to church, sitting in the pew or chair or whatever it is. But it doesn't come that way. It, it comes by being diligent in that use and study and passion for God's word. So verse 15 is a good verse to memorize. Maybe for next week, I'll give a pack of donuts to somebody that's got it down and can give it to me uh, as just a good start point for where we're at, where we're heading a little bit more next week under the theme of what life God blesses, what he does. But he starts with us as making us craftsmen, rightly handling the word of truth. We you pause with me for prayer? Uh, I told you that's about as far as I was going to get. We're going to stick to that. Okay, join me as we pray. We take we take this word for granted so very much. It's possible that among this congregation, um, they could have gone all week without cracking the book. It's possible. And that certainly is going to make us craftsmen by any means. We ask you, Father, to help us to lean into, to make every effort to present ourselves to God as one who's cutting a straight path that's not going to be ashamed, but will rather be approved by God. Develop in us, Father, that bend toward your word, that we cannot live without it, because it is the source of life, rightly handling the word of truth. How desperately in our day we need to be people of truth. So lead us into that. You said you were and are the way, the truth, and the life. So may we come unto you as craftsmen. Lead us 
feed us, work in us of your good pleasure. And if we become comfortable or sluggish, move us off that dime so that we can become men and women who are good handlers of that word to be able to influence and impact others about us. Thank you for what you'll do. We will give you all praise. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. I surrender all. I surrender all. Let that be your prayer this week as you go. May he encourage you along the way. God bless you real good. Greet one another as you go.